0: Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy, too. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome to another edition of Blockhead Today's guest is a man who's worked very closely with Gary Trudeau for over 30 years Working as editor of so many of those great Doonesbury collections that we all know and love and as uh, assistant in ways large and small. He's also most recently worked as the chief overseer and editor of the wonderful d at 50 Digital Doonesbury Archive Collection and the author of the user manual that comes along with it, and it is indeed an achievement to be proud of. This is an exhaustive um, catalog, if you will, of the entire archive, the entire 50-year collection of Doonesbury. Every week is... Is identified by subject from 1970 all the way up until 2020. It's really remarkable and it's a beautiful book and it highlights events, important events, uh, political, cultural events, for every year between 1970 and 2020, and it's unbelievable how many things we've lived through. <laughs> and it includes highlights from the strip, you know, pulls out one or two examples from a year just to give us a, a sense of, of where the strip was at, what was going on, how it looked, and the general feeling. And, and, you know, it's kind of cool the way it identifies those important moments, those iconic moments, I think, in Doonesbury. Of course, d at 50 is a digital Collection and the flash drive holds every strip from 1970 until 2020, and it's it's remarkable. It's arranged chronologically, but you can skip around from year to year and subject to subject, and it's really interesting to go through the archive and dip into one year and then pop out and dip into another year. I found myself. Uh, you know, jumping from one era to another era. Uh, A lot of times comparing, you know, contrasting, uh, getting caught up in the zeitgeist, if you will, of a particular period, and then uh, jumping out again and going someplace else. And it looks great. It looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, The the color just pops off the screen. Uh, Everything looks wonderful, and I highly encourage you to to pick this up. If you love Doonesbury, you're going to love the digital Doonesbury collection, d at 50. As I said, David has been working closely with Gary Trudeau in so many different ways over the course of 30 years, and he's got lots of stories to tell. Uh, so let's get right to it, okay? He's going to lift the veil, if you will, uh, lift the curtain on uh, The Wizard and uh, the workings of Doonesbury Central, and uh, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. I'm sure you can't either. Of course, I've heard it already, but it's so good, I can't wait to listen to it again. All two hours of it. Uh, there will be an intermission in the middle, and I'll come back at the end. And uh, But without further ado, the wonderful David Stanford and myself taking a walk around Walden Pond. Hello, David Stanford. Welcome to Blockhead. Hey, man. Good to be here, wherever it's we great. are. Yeah, we're in cyberspace someplace. It, it's great to have you here. Exciting to talk about the 50th 50 plus anniversary of one of the greatest comic strips in my experience as as somebody who loves the comic strip form just uh, there's so much to say about this comic strip that I don't even know where to begin but um anyway I think we'll start at the beginning with you David why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you know who you are and what what it is you do exactly and what your background is because I'm not sure many of them will know your name or or what your experience has been
1: no 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 nor should they and, and uh, i'd be glad to and
0: I, I just pictured
1: as you said that standing in the courtyard of cowell college at uc santa cruz somebody handing me a newspaper and seeing Dunesburg and going far out how, how did this get in this newspaper what you know how how did this guy climb in the machinery and then i flashed to another moment some friends down in santa cruz and i went in their bathroom and there was the first Dunesburg book sitting on the back i was like oh it's in a book cool so then jumped forward many years and I had, uh, I'm from the West Coast and I'd gone to grad school in the Midwest and studied history and then decided to get into publishing. And so that meant New York City, at least for five years, I figured, and went and asked one of my professors, e- editors, how you become an editor. And she mm-hmm. said, you just apprentice yourself to somebody and that's how you learn. So I set out to do that. Fortunately, I was a great typist and a good office person. I'd done oral histories and things. So I got a you know went to the manpower or uh, maybe it was kelly girls and started working in offices all over new york city which is how i learned the city saying every time do you have any publisher do you have any editors and over time it might have been a year it was a quite a while of interesting variety work i got sent to holt reinhardt and winston
0: ah on
1: madison and the guy they sent me to it was like that was my cosmic moment which sort of shifted the direction of things instead of staying five years i've been there ever since and this was i don't know 78 or 9 something like that so his name was the editor was don hutter a marvelous guy i right? just liked instantly and then in showing me around his office you know it, he said oh here's the file cabinet this is you know this is uh, my dunesbury drawer. i'm gary trudeau's editor oh wonderful fantastic one of my heroes i love comics and cartoons so a couple of weeks in you know we hit it off and he hired me permanent so i immediately was able to help him and he did some other cartoons too so it was a good match i was more of a history guy and but very broad very sponge-like and that's why publishing has always been a great career for generalists like me mm-hmm. but this particular link was great so i got to know gary a bit and would help Don on the books and over a few years i was doing most of that because i was into it and you know he had been gary's editor since the very first book They'd done you know the small books, they'd done the chronicles. When I showed up, they had just finished greatest hits. So in a way, I felt, oh gosh, it's ten years in. I wish I'd been around for all this. you know, in my mind, I thought, oh, you know, the parties, who knows how long it just seemed like I was late to the game, but as it turned out, things were just getting going. So I became friends with Gary just to work, you know, we hit it off and didn't socialize or anything. But one time we were talking, and he was saying, uh, he's kind of swamped. He had some marketing copy that the syndicate needed him to write character portraits for a big brochure kind of book that they were doing, you know, in one of the events they were, and I said, well, I'd be glad to you know, take crack at that for you. It's like, oh, cool. So I spent a weekend writing that stuff and asked him for a strip in payment, of course. And then from there, <laughs> that sort of grew. And, uh, you know, he, he said, I really could use an assistant, but I work at home. So, you know, kind of intimate, kind of weird. But I said, well, I could come over. So I started going on weekends and just doing whatever had to be done that that wasn't the strip itself. You know, just stuff of work. So Mm -hmm. that's been 40 years of of collaborations. That's been completely delightful. You know, I I, I admire him tremendously. And we've had a lot of fun and done a lot of strange projects over the years. And and, um, so I... Kept being a book editor all that time. I was 10 years at Henry Holt, and then I went to Viking Penguin for another 10 years. Had really good luck. Just was able to pursue a lot of my personal passions and interests through the work I was doing. And then after Viking, they kicked me out in 98. I went freelance. Fortunately, the internet happened before that. FedEx happened before that. And I've been up in upstate New York, not that far upstate, um, freelance editing books ever since. But uh, in the course of that relationship, you know, we. Did little things and big things and one of the biggest things we did was in the early 90s um you know Gary's was always a very tech guy always as you saw from the strip he was always into that area of stuff so he did a a threefer with a company on the west coast that was a box of screensavers which were wonderful and ingenious that i wish i had them now um in an election simulator for the election at that time and then a cd-rom to celebrate the 25th which was coming up it was it 20 hmm, let's see 20, 25 25. And, 25, and that led to hey we need a website to support that so the company worked with us gary and uh, designed this incredible website and i've been maintaining that ever since everything that's not the strip on the site is content i put in there and we've had so much fun with that as well features have come and gone over the years so that's sort of the broad outlines i'm still a book editor that's i do that all the time but i've been doing we're working with Gary a long time, and the site is still there. And this 50th was was a great challenge, partly because we waited a little late to figure out that, you know, we needed to do something. And, <laughs> uh, but, you know, and then we jumped on it. The syndicate was wonderful, as as always there, just a remarkable uh, organization. And so we created – let me backtrack a little bit and insert another <laughs> player. The editor of this book is Lucas Wetzel. I'd been gary's book editor a lot but lucas is his editor now at the syndicate on kansas city andrews mcmill mm-hmm. university is the parent company andrews mcmill publishing is the publishing company mm-hmm. so lucas was our guy and then george corsello and his wife and partner susan mccaslin are a design team called design monsters they down in new haven connecticut mm-hmm. george came on board in 1984 i guess with, with Holt, we'd do these contracts where we'd be like five years at a time or something like that. And so then we'd have, a, And at one point, we added into the mix this idea of doing a desk diary, spiral bound for keeping appointments and stuff. And it was all filled with Doonesbury Sundays on one side, and then maybe some lift art, and then other things like, you know, events or quotes. We'd come up with different things. So somewhere in there, and it might have been the second one, George came on board as the designer. And he's an amazing guy. He'd done a lot of books and albums, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And he, he and Gary just hit it off as designers, because Gary, as you mentioned, I, I saw you knew that last week or in the podcast. He had got one at Yale. He went to grad school in design. That's what that was his career path. Until this accidental comic strip, he showed him another way. And he, you know, he just ended up going with that. But that was a transitional period. He, was, he had the design studio and was doing that. So he he's one of those guys, a designer. And he and George just were very on this, the same wavelength they vibrated on. So from that first uh, desk diary until now, we've, you know, Gary and George are like a team. And we all work together on different projects of, of all kinds. And this 50th was, well, the 40th also. We're like culminating wow what an opportunity to really go all the way and the syndicate mm-hmm. supported that that creative work and i'll, I'll stop talking in one sec because i because of covid i never talked to anyone and i'm always in, enjoying this too much but i want to one <laughs> last to, for for Doonsbury fans if you yeah. didn't see it go find the Doonesbury stamp album in 1989 i think it was a benefit for literacy and this was George and Gary going insane. It's an eight and a half by eleven book of postage stamps, so that you know the, the backs are gummed. So there's facing, facing, and it's, it's it's a significant number of stamps. I think it's over a hundred different stamps, wow. chronicling you know Zonker and Duke, and and the graphics are unbelievable. They worked on this thing for months, and this was the last project. I was just remembering this this morning. I'm pretty sure that's the last project that they did with mechanicals and overlays. Oh. And, and the old school of design and because right about then you know it's when people say i don't know why my phone's goodbye phone (laughs) (laughs) sorry about that it's Um, all right um this the stamp album was incredible and it was so much fun and the the it's like two designers in design heaven just having complete fun so it's on you can find it on ebay and it's just cool and and then it's sort of connected to a sunday that you might remember where there was zonker putting his own postage stamps and people cut them out and, and taped them onto letters. You know, it was just a fun. It was just a funny thing. But the post office kind of got its back up. Like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> like, it, like it was fraud. You know, but it was fun. But then, then it was. I think that that's what led to. Hey, postage stamps. Let's go all the way. You know, there there's are some artists who do postage stamps as there are. But anyway, I just highlight and recommend that book for people well, to see.
0: I'll tell you, I'm looking on eBay now and the prices range from, it's really affordable. And I think I'm, I'm going to order this before uh, the price, you know, after this podcast, the price goes through the roof <laughs> because <laughs> it's great. I can see an image here uh, from, of some of the stamps and and they're terrific. There's, uh, there's the Donald right there. Yeah. There's
1: the four page. Trump stamps, a set. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I've been using those still.
0: Oh, have you really? Oh my sure. God. It's fantastic. But that looks great. I, uh, thanks for, you know, tipping the, uh, giving me the tip to that because, uh, that looks like something anybody who loves this strip would love to have. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. So, so, uh, your involvement is, is, I mean, it's on so many different levels really. Uh, and, um, and there's so many things, I mean, over 40 years of work, it's something to talk about. Um, You know, I mean, what are some of the things that you've done for the strip that stand out in your mind, you know, since you you came on board? Are there any moments that stand out in your head as being moments of particular anxiety or or moments of, um, you know, great uh, pride or achievement? Or what are those those moments that stand out after 40 years of working with Gary Trudeau?
1: Well, the, the one that leaps to mind in response to all those descriptors you just put out is is this fiftieth thing because mm-hmm. when we came we didn't really lock into this t- in my mind it was December something like that maybe no no, no it was earlier that's right we were, we went to Kansas City because Gary's longtime editor Lee Salem had passed away an amazing guy and so we were there and talked to them and and they were so gung ho they were like okay let's what do you want to do and so gary had this idea and they were like yes let's do it so we started in the fall planning it but as you see it's a box with a poster with yeah. a you know the, all that packaging that that apple-like packaging you know the flash drive with its mm-hmm. lanyard the book so just there were so many pieces to that but by the time we really as i remember it like let we better make this thing it was probably december maybe and and so COVID happened yeah. So, so, the anxiety part of your question was wow, we got to turn this in in a few months, you know, mm-hmm. big pressure. Um, the design challenges were huge, but that was all positive as near as I could see. And then my little part see, this this project, I had one job, which was to do the, the, uh, the user manual. Yeah. So, and we shared that, and that it was four pages for each year of the 50 years minus the sabbatical. And Gary did the indexes and i wrote the three-page treatment dealing with each year with lift art with some quotes and then highlighting key storylines throughout and so that was a delight in that once again i hadn't i got to read the whole strip again which i'd done at the 40th Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm in i'm in it all the time just doing research for projects but it was just great to sit there and go back and and re-experienced basically most of my life or at least you know after the first two decades it was like you guys were talking about this uh in that podcast where Mm -hmm. the strip is remarkable as a document of social history and, and and political history and american history of its time and and i remember so by going through that one of the things then we settled on as you've seen was that initial paragraph that sort of okay what 1978 okay and then here's a paragraph this is what was happening in in certain areas you know trying to make you remember yes uh, you know books and books and movies and tv shows but also news stories worldwide and blah, blah. so that was just sort of like okay let's take ourselves to that year and then focus on the storylines you know that most important and i'm writing okay let me insert one other comment right here don hutter and gary in the early years of the book created a voice the doonesbury voice that we've always called it and when I came on board and started helping out, I was like, oh, I got that. I saw it. And I adopted the same thing. And we still use that voice. In, it's it's evolved over time. But, you know, anything you read, flap copy, any of the books, there's sort of this this attitude or this stance, you know. So that's with that. That's the same voice that, as in this book. I only recently synced my phone to my laptop, and now I can't get it. I can't <laughs> have, stop it from binging when I get a message. So we'll just pretend that's not happening. Okay. Okay. So this book has that that voice in it. And in writing that voice, as in whenever I'm working on a flap copy, say I just I just steal all of Gary's hilarious ideas and, and particular language and, and work that other stuff around that. But that's you can see that clearly. So it was I felt like I was sort of novelizing Dunesbury in a way, turning it into a, a narrative, you know, that mm-hmm. and it worked really well. And and one thing that we've experienced a number of times, I think, in projects is the self-selecting nature of what endures, maybe is the way to say it. Um, you know, there's lots of subjects that, that Gary covers that, I mean, in a way, if you're not, you know, if you don't have the the energy to read the newspaper, you know, you can read Dunesbury, <laughs> he'll keep you along and you go, oh, that's what's happening. That's what people are talking about because that's what he's doing. He's, he's a scout, he's a ranger, he's out there looking, right? Plus he's driven by the need to choose something every week but that's that's really not important he he does this stuff he covers matters now sometimes there'll be maybe there's a piece of legislation or a congressman or something scandals that at that moment is a big thing now 20 years later 10 20, you know maybe you get like what who is that again you know yeah. some of it doesn't make it through but it's not a huge proportion so it's very helpful in this project for example it was clear sort of you could just sort of tell don't need to mention that mention this and as always for me with the strip and personally with most of the things that I get caught up in it's the characters that once i care for the characters then i'm there i just want to i just want to follow and see what happens to them and dunes is obviously a character driven strip and and so that book gave a pretty good chance to another way to show the endless interweaving of the lives of these particular people and how their experiences end up drawing in and reflecting so much of what's happening in the larger world you know um i remember sort of uh oh, i got it oh hey that's george i'm gonna i I'm, sure, sure. I'm really sorry um so um in uh, what i was gonna say was that there's sort of one of the raps of dunesbury over the years that i would hear so oh that that's that political strip and that always bothered me because you know it's so much more than that i mean sure it is definitely but but you know, I mean, people think, oh, that's all about politics. Well, it is. It definitely is. But one time, I can't remember how it happened. Maybe somebody said something or I read something or we were talking about it. And then Gary called me the next day. says, OK, I just did a count. I counted all the strips and 15 percent are political, political and 85 percent are only in the broader sense of they're about life and people's, you know, what's happening. So I, th- I thought that was a good number, you know, because that's sort of how it feels in a way. You know, you're reading about Facebook or you're reading about you know, so whatever the thing is, it's and, you know, you could see some a lot of in some political term, but it's not a political strip, in my opinion. So back to this book, that was that's the flow through. And you, you guys noticed that the 40th book is a character book, right? That oh, was absolutely. that was how that one is. Right. That's here's the main characters. And Gary wrote really good essays, I thought, on on there on them. Telling their part of you know their arc kind of, absolutely, and then a selection of of strips all the way through. So that's what came to the 50. There's like okay, we can't do that again. So <laughs> what do we do? And then it became this idea of so what we're saying is sort of this kind of history of our time. Mm-hmm. But also, I think Gary was clear in wanting to do the flash drive because we have the capability give everybody the whole thing. And I saw one comment, one of the criticisms of it on Amazon missed one of the points, which was, why is it in six day groups? I mean, that's weird, why can't it just flow? Well, so, you know, as you know, as a reader from in the early period, and it's not a long period of time, the strip each day was about something, maybe for three days, something would go on. And then, but it didn't take him that long to settle and i couldn't tell you when to settle into the rhythm that he's maintained ever since at least until the daily stop which is six-day daily storyline sunday on something else next week another six-day storyline which may be connected or may not be connected they're the units of six that's how it works and that's why he was able to do the index because you can thereby characterize the subject matter of a week or a sunday in the right amount of the limited amount of words you know that i'm tweeting has prepared us for so so that that's what this book was was give everybody the whole thing in a searchable way with an index that um it has several usefulnesses of it which is you can just sort of browse through and then when you see sunday strip teach you know professor says teaching is dead there's some some tip, and you that you that'll your memory will go oh oh that one yeah let me see that and you can go look it up, but also you will see that the characters, names of any character are highlighted in blue I think, and then public figures are in red. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, let's see. Yeah, okay. David Duke's red. Yeah, so that way, if you want to go looking for Trump, you want to go looking for W or whoever, you know, that's a, another way. So we took that index, put it on the flash drive and you can use it to navigate or you can use the book just for your own purposes, you know? So that's, so that's how, that's what we came up with was this whole synthesized set of items that seemed to work together and, you know,
0: well, well, on, on the one hand, uh, it's something that it really excites me, and um, I love the idea of having it all in one place. And I don't, like, for the Peanuts Classic Collection, I have a whole shelf full of volumes, and I can only pick out a volume at a time to, you know, take to bed <laughs> and read or whatever. With this, I've got the whole thing. Now, i got to bring my laptop to bed, but I've got the whole thing. But... Uh, At the same time, too, uh, it was a question both Pat, Sandy and myself had, which was uh, and it was my initial response was, geez, I I wonder why they're not doing, you know, a yearly volume or, you know, every two year volume like For Better or For Worse is doing with IDW or, you know, Peanuts does with Fantagraphics. And both of us were wondering whether that's going to happen at some point in the future. Was this, you know, or is this it? This is the collection. Um, How do you see that? Well, I guess, you know, the answer for some years
1: has always been why isn't there a complete? Because it's not complete. He's not done. You know, he's always said he's a lifer. It was unexpected to me and perhaps to him that the dailies stopped then. But, you know, he has these other passions of writing and projects and movies and TV. And that opportunity really opened up for him. And once he had done that, I completely sympathize, and that's another conversation you guys were having too about the brutality of this, um, uh, the task that the daily cartoonist takes on. He realized he would want to let the daily, the week, the dailies go. So mm-hmm. until then, though, there was always, well, it's not done, and so it still isn't done. The Sundays are dynamic and important and part of the story. So I, I think there's, I'm usually a very healthy guy. <laughs> and i hope there's a long run ahead and that's what i'm looking forward to but that's not that we haven't talked about it um i'll, I'll table that's for one side comment the sure. way the book publishing has gone since before i ever got there was i think um i think from the start gary always um retained uh, well the editorial control certainly but What he exercised was the ability to trim out the material he felt was weaker at the time it went to book form, Mm -hmm. and I think he's estimated that, generally speaking, in for many years it was maybe fifteen percent that he would take out, Mm -hmm. and then go with the others, and then when so there'd be, uh, I think it was every six months a small book. And then there would be every maybe three years, I forget exactly, an anthology, right? Chronicles, Greatest Hits, all the, the the ones that followed. And at that moment, he would have an option to call a little more if he wanted. But I don't know that he did so much of that. And then at a certain point, when the publishing rhythms changed after um, he left Holt, Reinhardt, Winston, there was, see, the separate story is Andrews McMill, the publisher, the syndicate. And a Universal Press Syndicate was the syndicate that... So he started with and that started with him pretty much and they also they bought a small book publishing house a theological uh, background <laughs> and they started experimenting through the 70s with different things you know, different avenues to expand it and by the time in the late 80s came when our contract came up and as it happened i was leaving holt myself the syndicate had become a hell of a book publisher a real powerhouse and so it made total sense to go back home to them mm-hmm. and so i think the format changed then and from then on there was mm, maybe all all maybe most maybe it was most and it became all but almost everything is in we started instead of the little books and then the bigger books it became an eight and a half by 11 or nine by 12 from the get-go and the color you know everything was ramped up so you you really could buy most of it all the time every every fall or maybe sometimes we'd skip one you know and then there there were theme books
0: Mm -hmm.
1: the book the zock book you know these other things but the main flow You know, like if you were drawing a chart, you know, you can trace the line all the way through. There's zigzags here a little bit. Maybe there's a place where there was a little less for a year or two. I can't I can't rebuild it in my mind, although I have copious notes. But so Mm -hmm. there wasn't the sense that it was unavailable. Most of it is there in print and you go to eBay, you can fill in your collection. But there was also no question. I don't think I've ever heard anybody question that. Sure, someday a complete would be great, but you got to wait till it's complete before (laughs) you can do that. You know, and because you can ask somebody to, you know, what spend 150 dollars I think and call it complete, it better be complete. So <laughs> this was perfect for now, because it gave you a different way to look at it and navigate through it, as I said, and focus a little bit more on the 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 context and the the its place in the large, you know. the things that the manual does all that seem like well that's that's useful and fun right now but yes and now back to my other thought when we talk about this in the past the funniest idea i thought was that there will be a coffee table book someday but it literally might be a coffee table you know if it goes long (laughs) enough then you're going to end up with a a box set that's so hefty that you can keep it there in your living room and maybe it has wheels and a handle, so you can tilt it up and take it over to your friend's house and loan it to them for a while. You know, because it it is a pretty large amount of material. And when you put it on paper like that, fortieth, right? Like you said, ten pounds. I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but, at least <laughs> just know that the dream is alive. I don't think you know. I've never heard anybody you know.
0: Oh man! Involved on this and saying, oh, we don't want to complete ever. You know, that's no. This we just aren't there. You know. Yes, yeah, well, you know, and I, I appreciate that. I love the uh, I got the fortieth. I've been, you know, waiting to get the fortieth. I don't know what for, but I got the fortieth last year. My wife got it for me for my birthday. And I spent I- from May through you know august reading that among other things but going back and forth and one of the things i did with that book was i read it straight through chrono or chronologically you know and yeah uh, the one thing i find i'm doing with um with this collection debarry at 50 is i'm skipping all over the place yeah i'm going by year by year rather than like starting off in the beginning and reading it and maybe that's influenced by my experience of just having finished the 40th uh, and you know, my arms are really, you know, I, I really <laughs> gained a lot of strength carrying that. Yeah, you're pumped, right? Yeah. I'm pumped, but, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I used it to do, you know, push-ups and things. Um, anyway, uh, but reading this, I'm, I'm, uh, I find it, you know, I'm just jumping all over the place, which is great. I love that. And I actually love the idea that they're in these six, you know, strip increments, which is the way the strip came out because. Mm-hmm. You know, you do get this uh, snippet of the story that's going on, and the general milieu. Whether you're in, you know, 2010, which is what's up on my screen right now, or you're in, you know, 1995 or whatever, um, you fall right back into the groove, which is really cool. And then you can pop out and go someplace else. You know, if I want to follow all the Trump strips, I can go find Trump. Um, yeah. You know, what? Th- just through through this. So I think it makes it really easy you know, to jump around in the strip and, and, um, you know, whether you want to follow a character or you want to follow, uh, just some, some things that were going on at that time. And you wanted to, you know, get back into that, that, that zeitgeist, if, uh, this takes you right back. So I, I really enjoy the way that it's set up, which surprises me because I didn't think that that would be something I'm, I'm one of those people who likes to read it, you know, from beginning to end Yeah. and you know, I'm a, I'm a tourist, so I go, you know, I plot along and, um, I like to go from, you know, follow the chronology, but this, this has worked out pretty well for me and it's surprising to me, but I'm enjoying it a great deal. And the strip looks great. I mean, it's just, it looks fantastic on the screen yeah uh you know and uh has not been um in any way uh diminished you know by the fact that it's not on paper and not in a book so yeah i'm really enjoying it um, i also really enjoy the the user manual which is really pretty cool um you you know you flip through and again it's the same kind of thing um i take it to bed at night you know and sometimes i'll i'll start to to read straight through but then it's the kind of thing that again you just want to flip through it because of the way that it's sort of made you know it's on this uh rings binder and it has that kind of calendar feeling and um and i love the way the quotes just pop out at you but you know uh, i was i was i came across one that duke said today that was reading to my wife um it was like something about where's that one there's um Where did it go? Where did it go? It was, yeah, honey, there are a few childcare problems that can't be solved with duct tape. (laughs) This stuff that just like pops out of here, which is just so funny. But the experience of reading uh, of going through it though, I, you know, um, I don't know about you. I'm, I just turned, you know, last May, I turned 60. So I'm at this, this moment in my life where, you know, my wife and I look at each other and say, where did all the time go? It seems like yesterday I was 30 and today I'm 60 and, and, There's no, everything else is just sort of compressed, you know, into like what seems like a five minute experience. And then I go through this manual and I start to read all this stuff and I go, oh my God, that's right. That did happen. I mean, it it really is cultural history, you know, along with being uh, a a really funny take on everything that's going on. Um, It's also, you know, very important in the sense that it takes us through all of these moments that were happening and they're the you know, because of the generation I am, they're the moments of my life. And, um, and it feels like as you go back and you read them, there's this kind of visceral connection. It brings you right back to what was happening and the immediacy of what was happening, almost like reading the newspaper would in a way.
1: Yeah. Or like listening to music too, where
0: you hear an old song and Oh, and you're there. Yeah, absolutely. It does. it, It does something very similar. Um, to that. And, uh, you know, again, going back and and thinking about it, it's it's like surprising how much stuff was going on, (laughs) you know, one day after the next, you just forget, you know, all of these little things too. And you forget about things like Dan Quayle and, uh, you know, Iran Contra and all of that stuff that seems so Important at the time, and um, has come and gone, and we find ourselves where we are. And I just, I just went by a strip with Rick Redfern. Um, you know, he's talking to Joni about fear that his kid is going to grow up in a world that, where Newt Gingrich is in charge. And I thought, oh my god, you know, one of the things about Gary Trudeau is that he's always been prescient in that sense. He's got a great yeah. sense of, of you know. The, the the terrible possibilities that may befall us uh, as time goes on for example trump you know he he had his uh he had that guy figured out from day one yeah that as as a new yorker trump
1: was right there and it, it was odd to see that that people the rest of the country wasn't on that page until the tv show and all that no he was he was great and that newt gingrich really stood out that daily story, because. At that time, the name you may have chosen the name because of its oddness, but I, I, I agree with you. He has a, a real remarkable sense of pressure. Now he he credits a lot of it, I think, to luck, but I don't believe it completely because on some this is my idea of like how do birds fly to Chile? You know, it's like he'll drop a Sunday, mm-hmm. which requires six six day week you know t- uh, delivery ahead of time. Right, right. And often it's just like a mortar shell that was so perfectly launched that when it lands, you can't believe it happened right there, right then. It just seems kind of profound, right? And mm-hmm. he said, well, law of averages, he said. But, you know, I think he's so paying attention that, you know, maybe he just senses the timing of things after all these years of watching how things work and say, not just politics, but including Congress and things and issues and campaigns. And sometimes something lands that just blows your mind how how perfect, how perfectly placed that is. Right. or in Gingrich's case over time it proved yeah that
0: that was that's the guy he's still he's still very much with us yeah very unfortunately um you know uh, when i w- one of the things that that i think about in relationship to this idea of of the strip as a political strip i mean politics have been a part of it and the, and but only in so much as they're a part of you know everybody's lives in the sense that you know as you were saying it's 15 he he went through and, and figured that was 15% of the strip we're covering political topics i mean he covers these things covers these things it sounds like i'm talking like he's a journalist you know but i suppose that's a big part of what he does i think he described himself numerous times as an investigative cartoonist an investigative cartoonist like you know and and the other person i think of the only person i really think of who's in that same kind of category maybe not even to this extent was walt kelly i mean i I can't think of anybody else right off the top of my head who's doing what You know, Gary Trudeau has done, but he's like infused it so seamlessly into the lives of these characters that for me, I've never really read. I've read the strip with the idea. Yeah, he's coming from a perspective that I understand and and that I relate to. But the politics you know aspect of it seemed to be brought to the fore when the newspapers began to shift the strip over to the editorial page, away from the comics page. and And maybe that's what gave gave it this idea that it was an editorial cartoon, a political cartoon. but i I agree. The strip for me has always been about these characters, and that's what I care about when I read yep. them. Yeah, I think just to answer that for, because I won't remember this very
1: long, is is I think the evolution of that was more the other way, in that in in, individual newspaper editors can put the strip wherever they want. They they Mm -hmm. make their deal with the syndicate. That agreement gives them control over that particular thing. So when Gary would get a little too, um, maybe too political, too something too hot of a button he touches or something, the editor would have the option of saying, you know, let's run that on the editorial page. That takes a little heat off for maybe for the people who are writing to say, Hey, this comics are supposed to be fun, you know, or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. the, that's completely the editor's choice. And then that did happen to Gary a lot back from the early days, of course. Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen him say many times in interviews, uh, well, from his point of view, the comics page is better because there's more people reading it and more eyeballs there, but it, it was never up to him or or anything that he could have an influence on. I, I will say he's, he's always been very respectful of newspaper editors and, And, uh, you know, corresponding with them and and supporting them. And he's always been clear. Say there would be a strip like, say, Rick and Joni in bed after I've (laughs) spent the night or whatever it was. Or Mark saying to his mother's bridge club, hi, ladies, my name's Mark. I smoke marijuana. Whatever it was that was a little too much for some newspaper, you know, and then people would write in or maybe say, oh, that's censorship. And Garrett, I'll say, would always defend the editors. That's not editing. They're the one who is curating the, the newspaper of their readers and they need to look out for their readers interests. And, and they're the ones who get to decide what to put in the paper. He, you know, he's never shared that, that sense of, uh, you know, being abused by that. And because that is, that is what it is. I I think he's right on that. But, um, that happened less So that. The first 20 years were pretty consistent that the, the, you know, this strip Mm -hmm. comes out and 20 newspapers drop it, you know? Right. And then this strip right. comes out, and maybe five, and this one maybe more. There, or there'll be protests, you know. And it will always be wonderful and hilarious, and and to see sometimes, uh, what was it? The one where um, 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 um you know, there'd be picketers outside of a newspaper f- for fun, you know, in a funny uh-huh. spirit, supporting whatever the character was doing. He's had a real nice relationship with the reading with his reading public, like that, where uh, uh, people reacting to him. and and then. You know, the website was great and that it enabled us to go another step of that. Um, for example, the, the story in the real world was George W. Bush was in the International Guard. He transferred from Texas to mm-hmm. uh, which state was that? And was he really there? Did any, Can anyone remember having seen him there? And there was some question about that. It was sort of a thing that was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then that because of the website and the strip together, Gary had mark probably say ten thousand dollar reward if you can confirm (laughs) that you saw george w bush you know serving in person there just let us know you know and so the strip put that out there which got it into the news the website um, was the venue for airing those and we started getting fantastic blowback emails from readers mostly hilarious and strange stories that they obviously made up you know and 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 a whole Kind of like Twitter now, you know, just jumping on that and having Mm -hmm. fun with that. And it went on for months, and he, I think, spun the plate in the strip again. And in the end, no one did step forward, and he gave the $10,000 to the USO, as I recall, you know, and announced, well, no one seemed to be able to do it. That, you know, the ending didn't get the publicity of the whole thing, but it was so much fun to be able to just go another you know another step similarly to the way gary really you know i don't want to get sidetracked into this it's huge but the way in the gulf war bd lost his leg and how he mobilized the strip really following his own sense that it was important to understand what was happening and use the lives and experiences of almost all of his characters to help people stay tuned in and to tune in himself to what was happening in that war so you know he's He's really ingenious in finding th- what to do, what what he's ingenious in finding things the stroke allows him to do by pursuing his interests and yeah. and then the website is just throwing a little another level of fun and interest around that. Some of which is well, very. Um, we had a game show for a while of Mike's quick quiz with Doonesbury <laughs> trivia questions and it had it was animated with sound effects and if you gave the right answer the bell would go off and confetti would come down you know just fun stuff or there was a Duke Ask Duke like a magic mm-hmm. kind of a thing where you could type in any question for Duke and the animated Duke was smoking would think. And then uh, he would offer a Duke like piece of wisdom that impressively often would seem exactly to match whatever it was you asked him, you know, so the site, the site has been a, a nice, another playground kind of.
0: Um, um, and what kind of traffic do you usually get there? Do you, do you have have no idea?
1: No idea. Never looked at that. It's enough people to keep me self-conscious and and try and do a good job. I know there are people and we get, um, you know, feedback from people. And then it's a Washington post site, isn't it? Um, yes, it's hosted by the post. That's right. It's had a couple of homes and that's where it has been since I think 2014, something like that.
0: Okay. Do you have to subscribe to the post to have access to it? No, it,
1: they, you might feel like you do if you're, but what happens is you have to sign in once, give your email and your name. And then once you do that, then it will let, come to that page indefinitely without ever asking you again. If you clear your cookies and stuff, yeah. you may have to do it again, but they won't, you don't have to pay anything. You know, uh, I know people write and say, how dare you You know, put a paywall up here, but you know, it's, it, we we put the strip this site out for 25 years and it, it takes some resources to do that and we've needed uh, sure. you know this has been a, and it's a great match I mean the post has always been I think when John McNeil and Jim Andrews started the syndicate which is a whole other wonderful story um, and Dunes mm-hmm. and started with Dunesbury yeah, a few other features but that was their first big, and and McNeil always has enjoyed telling the story of taking it to Ben Bradley and. And I think his line was something like, you know, John, it's going to be a tough year for newspaper syndicates, but especially for yours, but I'll take Doonesbury. And there were 26 or 29, 26 papers that signed up for Doonesbury that first moment when it came out. And uh, and John always says, There's, there'll be a thousand editors who claim they were there, but there was only 20 something <laughs> really at the time. So the post was always perfect fit for Gary, for, for that, definitely that side of, of political following people and so so it's perfect that we like that we ended up with them it's been that feels good to us i think
0: to me yeah sure you know uh i'm multiple questions are going through my head at the moment but i'm 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 thinking um you know Gary Trudeau is particularly well situated in a sense uh, of being part of the counterculture, you know, and I don't know the depth to which he would characterize himself a member of the counterculture, but he was in college at the time, uh, the late 60s, early 70s. And so, you know, I think he characterized it once as, you know, they saw him as somebody who was writing dispatches from you know, from the counterculture for the newspaper in a way, and that the comic strip was was viewed perhaps by the syndicate as potentially, you know, um, a linchpin to the younger generation. Certainly, you know, he was, he was of that generation that was, uh, post-World War II, 60s generation. So very different from the guys who were dominating the comics page at the time, you know, Charles Schultz and, uh, um, you know, all of those guys who, who came up through, you know, Mort Walker and whatnot, who came up through World War II. So very different generational shift when Gary Trudeau came along it's interesting to me though that because of his his situation who he was in a way they were almost like situating the strip and counting on the strip to kind of go into the places where it went to. Um, Whereas at first it started off as just like about BD and, you know, Mike Doonesbury and a college strip. And even in the early days of the strip, that's what it is. It's, it's, it was perfectly situated because of the fact of uh, the fact that he was, you know, of that age. And that was what was happening at the time to be a commentator on, you know, the world we were living through at the time. And then, and that's kind of what happened. I mean, it, it started off as, as, you know, interactions between college students that were pretty much just about that. And then it all of a sudden, you know, flourished. Um, I think Mark Slackmire was really the one of the first characters who really brought in, you know, a lot of what was happening in the world around Doonesbury. And then gradually Mark and Mike hit the road and they meet Joni, and BD goes to Vietnam. And then all of a sudden you've got, you know, this flourishing of a variety of different stories happening that seem to encompass you know the entire uh american experience if you will yeah you're right
1: um uh, all of that gary as he's told the story you know just had this idea to do these trips about bd who was wonderful popular star quarterback at the Yale football team and he kind of made him a jerk kind of as the joke of it maybe was that he wasn't and then the and he it, it, he's told the story many times and if anybody wants more detail on this go to that politics and pros pod uh there's an online interview with them from politics and pros a few months ago in which he gets into this a little more but i'll I'll say this because it, it answers what you said the syndicate as i say john john mcmill was a syndicate uh, rad, uh, syndicate sales director had been in that business uh jim andrews uh had been a book editor a theologian he actually had considered the priesthood and been in seminary but was also a wonderful editor and just uh, he edited the catholic reporter at notre dame he just and these guys became friends just through an odd series of, of things uh, and led them to wish to work together and their first thing they did was start a small syndicate to sell to the Catholic Archdiocese newspapers, and they developed some features for that purpose, and that was okay. But then they realized they kept thinking the syndicates, which up until that time, generally speaking, were corporate entities growing out of the newspaper world, the Chicago Sun-Times, or the Hearst Empire, or the Trib, you know, it was, the, the, the that newspapers used to have their own comic strips and cartoonists. And then they the evolution was to then share that work with other papers and charge them for it. And these syndicates developed to, as the distribution mechanism for doing that. But the work was owned by the newspaper syndicates. The, the creator, generally speaking, didn't own the characters. They would come to there and then they would kind of own you. And if, the, if you had a falling out, they could hire someone else to do it. That was sort of that world. But these two in making the move to launch a, a real syndicate, a broad, full spectrum syndicate of columns and comic strips. So Jim, it, it just tells, says a lot about who he is and that he was reading the Yale Daily News, the Yale campus newspaper, the student newspaper to follow uh, a man named Malcolm Boyd, who he was interested in and uh, and saw the, when Gary happened to run these BD strips, there they were. And he read those. And now John and he at that moment were still Running their their Catholic syndicate and preparing to go public with the bigger syndicate, but they both still had their day jobs and didn't know hadn't told people that's what they're doing. So they <laughs> created this cover company, Universal Press Syndicate, which is as big as it could be, but it was as small as it could because it really was a mail drop in across the street from the New York Public Library. And so <laughs> Gary got this letter from this guy named John Kennedy, this guy they made up as their front man, saying, "I'm really interested in your work and and um, I." I interested in pursuing syndication if you'd be talking to me so that led to this couple year or two this long exchange and sequence of events where gary's thinking wow that would be cool but can i and can i do it and then there you know and, and he and jim really did a lot of thinking about the direction of it and the development of it anyway all that happened so that by the time they launched their syndicate and then a few i think a few months later launched dunesbury as one of their first features you know, Gary had reworked it and had some haphazard experiences. I think he lost all the strips once they were stolen out of a cab, oh, and, and then he had to do them all over. So, but all of the whatever they went through, it got him to this place where, when the strip showed up, it had the impact you describe of. And like I said, when I saw it the first time, I said, How did this guy get in the machine? Because you did feel like yeah. the comics world, like the rest of the world, the television world, you know, was sort of populated by. The, the counterculture still felt outside and so that was very cool and and obviously a lot of people were paying attention and responded to what he was doing and um, no it's a it's a it's a, a wonderful story and and like you were saying uh, we, uh, last in the other podcast too when you consider the extent of this body of work if you think of it as a massive 50 year long novel or and just it's a body of work that is so uh, deep has so many corners and angles and you know it's it's really amazing it hasn't been anything like it and so yeah you can talk about gary and and every comic strip artist has their own part of the cartoon universe in my feeling that they've (laughs) opened up a new vector right and this is gary's this particular vector is 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 pretty big and and wonderful and if would you indulge me in something you know the 40th book when you got that Mm -hmm. did you you know in the centerfold there's a four-page map in the middle yeah map of the characters with the portraits of all of them sort of proportionally sized based on their their kind of role in the strip right little ones for walk-ons and then big ones for the main people and it's all color-coded with dotted lines of different textures like any other map linking them showing uh these two were married these went to you know and then so it's a whole map right but one of my favorite things about and this, and this to people who, they, you know, it is a, a lot of characters. It's 75 characters. And it's these are just, awesome. and that's most of them. I mean, there's, there's another 100 people who've come and gone or smaller parts. But that's a lot of characters to keep track of. And it, you can cut this out if this doesn't work, okay? But one of the things I think is one of the more delightful parts of this book is there's a character's connections box in the lower left corner. Okay. So for the casual for the casual listener, who doesn't kind of this is that this is one sentence that explains explains the relationships of the seventy five characters. Okay, here we go. Deep breath. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, Mike and B D were roommates at Walden College, which was run by President King, whose office was occupied by student radical Mark who spent summers at home with mom Marilu and dad Phil arguing about his hair until he could return to argue about the war with quarterback BD, who was tormented in huddles by Zonker and cheered on by girlfriend Boopsy, with whom he lived at Waldenham Commune, whose numerous denizens also included Dee Dee, her boyfriend, Bernie and Nicole, with whom years later, Mike didn't quite have an affair. Though BD had one with Meg, during Gulf War One, while on R&R leave on a ship where his buddy Ray recuperated from a wound, his morale not improved by morale officer Trip Tripler, who years before had been roommates at Walden with Benji, Mike's younger brother, who after college worked for a condom company, one of many dubious enterprises run by Duke. Usually with the assistance of Honey, the translator he met while he was the ambassador to China right after he served as governor of Samoa, where he was aided by MacArthur, much as he was later aided by Riley when he coached the Washington Redskins. Shortly before, he shot his former caretaker, Zeke, who had burned down his house and who at one time dated JJ, who later married and divorced Mike and whose mother, Joni, had left home and founded Walden Daycare, where she took care of Ellie and Howie who encouraged her to go to law school in Berkeley, where she rented an apartment from Mrs. Pocatelli, along with Ginny, whose annoying boyfriend, Clyde, helped with Jenny's losing campaign against Lacey, who became a congresswoman and hired Joni and moved to Washington, along with her charming husband, Dick, and their befriended street person, Alice, and her crazy husband, Elmont, who were married by Reverend Sloan and written about by Joni's husband, reporter Rick, who frequently clashed with his and Joni's son, Jeff, who grew up and went to Walden and roomed with Zipper, nephew of Zee, under the watchful eye of advisor Big Paul Mannion, who, and who befriended Cricket and tried to befriend Alex Doonesbury, daughter of Mike, stepdaughter of Kim, and granddaughter of Daisy, who lived with him in Seattle briefly before moving back to Oklahoma and dating Skid. An MIT student with a beautiful roommate, Drew, and an awesome boyfriend, Toggle, who was wounded in Iraq, and whose protective mother, Mrs. DeLuca, got to know BD when he came to Walter Reed to help care for his former soldier, who got a job in the recording studio of Sherm, a vet who returned to Nam and befriended Fred, the former Viet Cong terrorist who once captured BD and went into business with BD's buddy, George, and musician Jimmy Thudpucker, whose agent was Sid Kibitz, who represents almost everybody, but not Mr. J, whose pal, Spokes Cigarette Mr. Butts, was made up by Mike for his ad firm, the receptionist for which was Marcia, who returned to New York City to honor her former boss, Mr. Bellows, who was killed in 9-11 and at Ground Zero met BD, who had not yet found help with his PTSD by going to the Vet Center, whose receptionist Celeste introduced him to Elias, who was surprised when BD reached out to MST victim Mel, who was being counseled by Cora and who eventually returned to Afghanistan and bumped into Jeff, but not reporter Roland, who had previously interviewed Ward Akbari, petroleum industry bigwig Jim Andrews, and Duke 2000 presidential campaign spokesperson Minnie D, who worked with Earl, who grew up in an orphanage, unlike Sam, who grew up in Malibu, parented by B.D. and Boopsy, and cared for by Nanny Zonker, who embodies the mellow espoused by best-selling author, Dr. Dan Asher. Though Zonk learned his at the knee of mentor old surfer dude and from his Californian mom and dad, not to mention their colonial era ancestors, Nate and Amy, who unmellowly owned a slave named Sammy, who was understandably resentful like Agent Havoc, who hates mentoring CIA intern Jeff, who annoys him the way Weinberger annoyed seminar leader Henry Kissinger and Black Panther Calvin annoyed and intimidated the young Mike, unlike the unannoying Cornell, who calmly accepts prison time for serving pot brownies to AIDS patients, including Andy Lippincott, who died peacefully while listening to the Beach Boys. Wouldn't it be nice?
0: Wow. (laughs) I guess I guess we it's just that simple. (laughs) <laughs> it's just that simple. It's extraordinary. But I mean, really, that does, wow, that covers a lot of ground. I can't believe, who wrote that? I did. You wrote that. <laughs> and how long did it take you to write that? I don't know, but it sure was fun. I mean, it sounds like it was a lot of fun, but boy, oh boy, that sounds like it would have taken, you. Know, well, first of all, you had to read the strip thoroughly, completely, and then... Consolidate it and all of that. I mean, and decide who's going to come where and when they're going to come. I can't imagine how you put that together because when I try to encompass this trip into something that small, it's like it's like you know uh, taking a, the universe, you know, in one of those Marvel comics, compressing it into you know the cosmic cube or something. Hey, folks! It's time to take a break, stretch your legs, go for a walk. Get yourself something to drink, a little nosh, if you will. Come back for the second hour when you're ready. In the meantime, here's some information about my latest project. What if movies weren't just flickers of light on a screen, but windows into real worlds in alternate dimensions? What if one day you found yourself transported to the land of Oz and the wicked witch of the West was chasing after you? In Green Screen, a Hollywood sex symbol wakes up one morning to find she's in an alternate reality called the Cineverse, where she's no longer a movie star, and every movie ever made is a real world. She travels from one world to another, wrestling with movie monsters and evil empires, struggling to find her way back to a world where movies were just movies, and a green screen only a blank surface. Greenscreen is a sci fi fantasy comedy comic book, 32 pages in full color. You can buy the print edition at Etsy, at Jeff Grogan Art, or subscribe on Webtoons Canvas. Be sure to follow at Screen Comic on Instagram. Greenscreen will be available for digital download on comixology.com on February 10th. Hey, we're back. I hope you're refreshed from that brief intermission and uh, ready to go for the second hour. David and I were just talking about that wonderful book, 40, A Doonesbury Retrospective. It's amazing you were able to do that. Um, you know what's funny, though, about Gary, Gary, this just reminds me of
1: this. This book uh, was, was on, the, Michael Reagan is the guy who physically created this, package, amazing book producer, now retired, but he was in China for a long time, while this book was being printed in this huge plant. And and Gary was still writing it and we were shipping signatures one at a time. And you know, that's the that's the typical level of, of high energy stress involved. And this map, I'm remembering looking at it, Susan McCaslin, who works with George Corsillo, her husband, the designer, we were we had this on our at three in the morning, we had it on our computers. With the magnifying going over each of the dotted lines to make sure they were all accurate, you know no. that. And we caught a few. Oh my God, they weren't <laughs> married, you know. And fixing that up. And then, and then it was got printed the next day. But oh, there gosh. was one, if I'm remembering this right. There's one. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Oh God, that's that's a weird address. Let's see. There was the uh, there was a character that got the the computer dropped the lettering out of the name, and I think it just called him x and oh. we were panicked and so we saw that and then george the next morning while we were sleeping oh it's desmond somehow what happened damn it there was a, a mistake that when we woke up and heard about it we thought this has ruined the whole map but george <laughs> had done something and gary had time to i think he did a strip that changed or added a fact that thereby made it not wrong So it <laughs> out; it was okay but, you know, it's, it, all this, I'm telling you this story because you guys were talking in the other podcast about how brutal the life of the Daily Cartoon is. You know, it's a relentless deadline. I mean, it's it's great and a joy to anyone, you know, with the pleasure to do that job. But the element of stress is about the deadline, which mm-hmm. which everybody lives by. And at the time that this strip happened, as, then, as you know, it, you know, you read interviews back in the day with Sparky Charles Schultz or other cartoonists, mm-hmm you you know you have to turn your strips in ahead of time so there's plenty of time Mm -hmm. to prepare them and edit them and then you know the syndicates would prepare a a slick which had the six dailies on it they'd physically mail those to the client newspapers who would cut out the strips wax them put them down on the mechanical you know there was this whole physical process and then the sundays printed in sunday sections by a small number smaller relatively small number of producers you know wherever the great lakes or maine or wherever they were so the syndicate would have to get all the sundays and then that particular each client newspaper would have you know 14 different strips different mix so you'd have to make sure all the right ones for that you know minnesota newspaper went to the printer in buffalo mm-hmm. new york who we put together so that took that's why the six weeks because you got to go through all the coloring coding the coloring doing all this you know, all that so that's the old days so when gary comes along and joins up in this is business you know, again, like Jim and John, he, he hadn't he he wasn't coming out of the comics world. Well. He just did what made sense to him, and and so he found well, when do I have to turn it in? Well, for the strip that appears on Monday, we need it by. I'll make up the time, but five o'clock Friday, the week ten days, basically like nine ten mm-hmm. days, and so that of course he pushed in that to the end, right? So that he would. You know, he used to describe when I would go and work in those first years, he would be, you know, some days I'd come over, I would often come, I'd try and st- I wouldn't go on late in the week because then the pressure would be mounting on that deadline. But sometimes I'd walk in the door like a Wednesday, he'd go, I got nothing, I got nothing. You know, and then amazingly, he, but he always did have something by Friday when that time came. And occasionally I happened to be there when maybe it was a Friday, you know, something, I, I would lived in Hoboken. I'd take the cab home late at night. And you go, oh, could you swing by that? There was the last FedEx place in New York on 40, 42nd, four, somewhere over on the west side. There. And I would swing by and run in, take the package, drop it off. And they would go overnight to Don Carlton, then his anchor, his original anchor for a long time in Kansas City, who Don would then physically walk him into the syndicate. So it was this whole you know, chain of drama mm-hmm. to make that deadline happen. And you know, it's sort of when... Now, current anchor is Todd Pound, who lives in San Francisco. Don retired. And then George Crusillo, who, as I had said, has done so many projects uh, with Gary, became the Sunday uh, colorizer a while ago, like a significant while ago, and and just does a great job on that. And he and Gary have done many posters together for fundraisers and stuff like that and and other projects. But when everything went digital over that period of time where that was evolving, which took a while, then you know okay then typically i've seen with work work takes the time you have to do it so if you don't if you have more time then most people will use that up you know and so that that inner pressure of the clock that whatever gary was living in or any syndicated card rather than charles schultz who's or somebody in the old way would be like oh i'm done through april i'm four months ahead great that way if i get the flu no problem you know Mm -hmm. kind of a cushion but because he was writing trying to write about what's happening now as close as he could get then he went that other direction which which is more stressful but had tremendous payoff
0: so, you know, you mentioned that you walked in on a Wednesday one day and he's he's sitting there and he says, I've got nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and so... You know, when you, you've walked into the the office, I mean you go do you how often when you before COVID and all of this, I mean how often were you physically in the office and what kind of environment was that? Was you know, Gary off by himself writing stuff and, and working it out? Or were these were ideas being thrown around the room and, and trying to get feedback on them? I mean and what kind of I mean, how often do you think that, did he find himself in that kind of situation where, you know, he was coming up dry? Because it is, I mean, it is so time-driven and deadline-driven. And, of course, you know, we're all just human. So, you know, how, do you have any kind well, that, of...
1: Well, that's a long time ago, I, that I, in the 80s and, and maybe into the 90s, I used to go over, one say, one night a week and just work. He has, has an office in the house, and he'd just be over there. I had my desk, and, and I was... You know, just working on uh, on particular things. So we talked sometimes, but mostly he was doing what he was doing. You know, Letterman's on or whatever. But um, one thing he that he did just to torture me about was sometimes he would. Uh, well, no, no, I'll skip that. That's good. That's that's off subject. But the most of the stuff I did with him was stuff like, say, this guy named Mike Stusser from Seattle writes and he's created a Doonesbury board game. Right. Okay. Can I do this? Are you interested? And it was really good. So we spent a while just working with them, kind of punch up the writing and provide some content for that. And and then George designed the board. So that was, you know, really Uh fun. Months of that. Or say one of the two of the funnest things that I remember us doing back in the mid 80s was the idea to do what became called the cartoonist Thanksgiving Day Hunger Project. The Mm -hmm. idea was that, you know, and this was in the era of Hands Cross America and USA for Africa. Mm hmm. Which, which the strip addressed those and it, and it had some role in that in that way. But this was a, a concept where Gary and Charles Schultz and Milt Kniff wrote to all the syndicated cartoonists, fine, mm. and said, hey, how about we all just devote our strip on Thanksgiving Day to the subject of h- hunger in mm. whatever way that works for you if you feel like it, you know, and Great idea. almost everybody did it. And so, you know, I did the correspondence for that mailing cause we had, it was all stamps and envelopes and, all that and that was really fun and that took a period of time and then the high point for me was when it actually happened on that day on I, uh, on the thursday I, I was working i was single i was working at holt still so i just spent the day at holt doing some phone interviews and my cousin's in the shower on the sheep branch out in willows and he goes hey david there you are he's in the shower so it was you know that was really fun and and then we had a nice event at the cartoon museum which mm. uh, this is a whole other good strand um that i, I, I want to remember to come back to brian walker He's running cartoon museums, mm-hmm. Fort Walker. He himself was a cartoonist, cartoon writer, person of historian of, of uh, unparalleled knowledge yeah. about. So, um, we had an event out there when he was the director to celebrate the Hands Across America. By, uh, we made a huge roll, a scroll, and then cartoonists who came would draw the characters holding hands, and uh-huh. then we wrote everybody who wasn't there and had people mail in send out kind of a pencil template mail in an inked in drawing with the hands in pencil and then mm-hmm. I was I, my fun job was to ink in all the hands and intertwine them so they were holding hands and then roll this thing out and I took it I took it to Life magazine because we'd in touch with them probably Gary I don't know exactly how the scenario went but I remember going in the art director to meet him and rolling it down the hallway of life. And I think a little bit, dip, 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 roll it and there's all these characters, all holding hands, and they end up running a spread in the, in the magazine. So that was really fun. That's, that's the kind of stuff, you know, that, that I work on or, you know, writing copy and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, there are a lot of these a- little ancillary things and, and some of them are big things that you're talking about. Um, it's, it's interesting when we think about comics, we think of comic strips in the history of comic strips, there's this whole licensing tradition, you know, that goes along with it. And when we think about, when I think about Doonesbury, I never think about anything like a Doonesbury board game. I mean, the Doonesbury in some ways has always seemed to be sort of outside of that kind of, Tradition, in in a way, you know, the tradition of of um, of licensed products or repre- using characters to. Re- I mean, is Dunsbury ever has there ever been a time when Doonesbury characters have been used to it's sell true. life insurance or anything like that? No, and it's interesting.
1: It's a good time. I hadn't thought about that for a while. But um, Andrews McNeil's misfortune was that not only was Gary not really interested in pursuing licensing for its own purposes, you know, to make money mm-hmm. and do that, but you know, Bill Watterson also famously did not pursue that. So here they had some properties that, you know, from yeah. an, a syndicate publisher's point of view, you know, dollar signs flashing off. And I'm but they weren't interested and didn't want to do that. And the syndicate, to their credit, generally speaking, didn't, uh, you know, OK, that's mm-hmm. that's fine. So they didn't. That's why we haven't seen those things. I mean, a little bit. Now, Gary, interestingly, at later on, you know, he lived on the west side and was museum of natural history he was a big fan of that right and they needed some help their their park area had was really tromped down and needed some attention so with the the first instance that i remember aside from him doing posters for good causes and you know the national women's political caucus sure. or you know groups he, that so that he did that and he would just do that for people and they'd use that to make raise a little money but this sort of stepped it up because they needed some help so he designed a line of products that was manufactured and sold in a little shop in the lobby of the museum. And I think it was sort of an experiment to see were people interested. You know, tote bag, T-shirts, uh-huh. cards, dinosaurs, and Zonker generally was sort of the main, if there was an identifiable theme, it was that. You know, yes. it was fitting with the, the the organization. Some mugs, maybe. And it went pretty well, and it was a good thing. So that, that led to this whole other thing, which was the great Doonesbury sellout, which <laughs> I couldn't even tell you the year right now, but maybe... Ninety-ish, I think something, mm-hmm. but it was it was with George. It was so much fun. It was it was sort of I think part of the inspiration for Gary, perhaps, is I remember was the the J J Peterman the the catalog where you know this uh, hand knit silk oh, from yeah. Madagascar, you know, whatever the copy kind of the over the top selling of the exotic item. So we, we created a physical catalog and a uh, inventory of wonderful <laughs> dunesbury products ranging from the mr butts uh, s- uh ashtray which was you know don't, go ahead kids you're immortal you know thank <laughs> you for smoking you know or the the duke condom case or the swizzle sticks from club's Gud. oh know. my god and, be, it was, and, you couldn't and get those things right i would love um, to get those things <laughs> it was so much fun and and it's just our bad luck that the internet didn't quite exist yet because it was all literally catalogs right and i think we did a second catalog and update maybe you know <laughs> on, and some more products that was t-shirts post you know it was really good stuff and fun again george and gary going to design town you know and, yeah. and doing it. so that um and it wasn't i don't know that it raised that much money but it was it was like a couple years later it was like oh you know then we had the website but it was like Uh, we can't do that again i think you know it was was, we we had done that but he's done other things like i think gary did a series of posters with starbucks to raise money for literacy okay they were posters and coffee um uh insulated plastic cups you know like you use for coffee and some mugs and that again george working with together with him and that was completely to raise that was fundraiser stuff and I think they did maybe four cycles of those. Those, if you find those on eBay, the posters are amazing. Those are they're, uh, uh, numbered signed editions, you know. Oh, really? Those, those, those will cost some money to get because they're, they're beautiful. And so that was an example of sort of, it's sort of a version, uh, you know, he, he became comfortable doing some things for causes like
0: that causes like that. Yeah. And that's, that's, I was just going to say when I think of, of Doonesbury and I think of merchandising, I think of him doing tote bags for PBS and stuff like that. I mean, that, that would seem like, you know, the kind of thing that Gary Trudeau would do. And as opposed to, you know, um, again, you know, life insurance and not any, not to, to down, downplay that or, or, um,
1: oh, a good example, like what you just said, is American Cancer Society. When yeah. remember how Zonker was a professional tannist, of course, and, mm-hmm. and high art and all that. Then at one point, he you know he realizes he's he's risking skin cancer, and so in the strip, and in real life, he did some public service announcements. You know, kids, cover up, Aloha, be safe. You know, you know, to advise against that. So the American Cancer Society came to him, and they did a little brochure using wait, I mean, i'm confusing two things aren't i uh that could be mr <laughs> mr butts i think it was an right. anti-smoking brochure using mr butts that's right oh,
0: but, okay
1: and so he was like sure so they did that and they had a campaign butts out or something you know anti-smoking but then the other thing there was a group maybe in massachusetts i'm not sure a group came and wanted to do a little animated uh, public service announcement about smoking so they right. did you know sure worked with them they did that you know, so there's these neat little things out there, you know, that that Gary's done over the years.
0: Has there now? I'm familiar with the um the thanks the animated Thanksgiving special John Hubley did way back in the uh, '70s. Faith Hubley, yeah, 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 yeah. Faith Hubley and John Hubley, and uh, I don't know if John Hubley passed away by then. I'm I'm not sure, but um, anyway, I'm familiar with that. Uh, but has there ever been another animated version of Doonesbury other than what you've done for the website and things like that? Is that something that anybody's ever given thought to? Because it sure would be kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think there is no, but I mean, I could see the, that. The, it, you the, know, I'm the, just... the downside of
1: it, when you—if I—I used to, I, I, you know. And then when Pixar came out, you might think, "Gee, could Pixar handle it?" But the scope of such an undertaking,
0: in yeah, and
1: Because, because I, in my own analysis, is me talking, not speaking mm-hmm. for Gary, of course i can't imagine him saying sure make a movie you know he would it's it's his world he would want to be you know oh yeah so i don't think whatever i don't remember hearing those stars starting to line up for for that you know i was just but to support what you just said, yeah. if any, if you are a Dunesbury fan and you haven't seen that, which I think was a CBS half hour special and it yeah. got noticed and awarded, that really holds up. It's just oh, yeah. beautiful and, and really conveys the essence and the spirit of the strip in my in my mind. So oh. I recommend that. It's you got to buy that. There's a DVD. I think it's on maybe from with the rest of the Hubleys work because they've done so much incredible advertising and innovative art films of their own. I think that's where it is. It's it's also on YouTube. But don't say it too loud. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) Call the lawyers right away.
0: I know, no, it's, it's, you know, uh, it's fabulous. It's really beautifully done. And what's wonderful about it is it's traditional hand-drawn stuff. And it's got the, you know, one of the things that has been, I think, so important about Doonesbury and all the great comic strips is this mark of the author, the mark of the cartoonist. And that carries forward into you know, throughout Doonesbury, but it's also there in the animated film. And, uh, I think the Hubley stayed very close, you know, to the, the spirit of the strip in, in everything. Um, yeah. We'll to right that. Was
1: about making it that, that they did with gary that's eight f by 11 it's out there that if, if someone's interested that's that's really neat too and right. just to follow up because my brain is bad but i just remembered we did do animations on the website we i think this website has had like three main redesigns and in one of them we had a circle in the middle where we could put it in animations and gary would write these scripts and and then uh and and the guy who here's where I, my mind fails me i just forgot his name but he worked with i think he worked with john and faith he was of that generation a mm-hmm. really skilled old school animator and he guided or did the key work on on, on those anim- animations and they were really funny and wonderful you know where you know somebody making a snowman and then duke would drive by in his snowmobile and just destroy it little action things that just while you're sitting on the page you'd see these going oh, cycling through that was really and that stuff you you know, only exists where yeah, digital yeah. animation to hang out forever. So I, I I wish that I had those, but there was a lot of energy put into that at some point.
0: Well, you know, I I think about it, again, now I'm just riffing on something that I would love to see happen because uh, I I think that, (coughs) first of all, I think it would be great to see it live in that form. Although I think there's something really wonderful about the fact that Doonesbury lives as a comic strip and not in any really too many other diluted forms, if you will. Um, I mean, one of the things that that I I talk about with Lex Fajardo from the, the Schultz Creative Studio a lot when we talk about Peanuts is how the animated cartoons... Um, have really taken precedence over the strip itself in the minds of, you know, younger generations that have come up, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, in the years of the proliferation of all of those films. Kids growing up with it think about Snoopy as a cartoon character on TV more so than, you know, they do the actual comic strip. And in Schultz's mind, the comic strip was always the thing. So for me, I think it's great that Doonesbury really is a comic strip and there's no that's the central thing, and there's no dilution of that. Uh, but at the same time, I think it would be, would be really cool to to see if, you know, Gary Trudeau's interested in writing for television, how it might work out if he were to take his own characters and write, you know, half-hour episodes or something. Of, of I
1: can't characters. see it. I hear what you're saying. I just can't imagine him doing that, but, but uh, it's, you're right. And it, you're also right. If everything else just went away and the wind blew it all and the strip was standing there, that's, that's it. That's it. Everything else is, yeah. is fun around it. And and, uh, and it's a formidable edifice that I think will survive as much as anything oh, can my gosh. in the culture, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, what and I reminded which, oh, peanuts, I, you know, that I still, I know kids who who do read peanuts, you know, the books kind of carry it through mm-hmm. households, but Calvin and Hobbes is interesting because that's such an amazing strip. And that was one of the first big multi-volume, a hardcover, you know, 150 mm-hmm. or whatever it was expensive trade mm-hmm. book it was one of the most expensive trade books yet done at that time if i remember right and it was a gamble to spend that much money to do that and boy did that succeed that was the call was right you know people love this mm-hmm. so passionately that to have the whole thing and then and i work in a bookstore uh not mm-hmm. this moment because of have covered but uh oblong books and music in millerton new york mm-hmm. on fridays and we you know the calvin Hobbes sitting right there we still that still moves as do the peanuts books you know the peanuts there are always people working on new versions of the strips and Brilliant. keeping it moving through, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Cal, well, Calvin and Hobbes is interesting. It's interesting to think about actually where Gary Trudeau sits in the pantheon of, of, you know, the history of post-World War II cartooning. You know, you have that generation that comes around with, with, as I mentioned before, there's Schultz and there's Mort Walker and there's, you know, Walt Kelly and there's Johnny Hart and all of those guys. And, and then you know gary trudeau comes along at a time and it seems when i think about the newspaper strips i think gary trudeau was by himself on that page representing his generation i don't remember anybody else in the in 1970 being there later on in the 70s you had kathy Geiswhite come along and then you had lynn johnston come along but it was after gary trudeau had had been there for a while and it, it's it's really interesting to think about about his position as, and particularly for me as a cartoonist who was you know 18 17, 15 16 17 18 when chronicles came out that was like the bible you know for me and it was um at that age it was as much an important strip to me as peanuts was and and i know talking to pat sandy the same was true for him and for other cartoonists of my generation um then then the next generation it's it's interesting it 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 becomes really Gary Waterston and, and Calvin and Hobbes and, and kind of goes off in a, a very different direction. Um, and, and it's kind of funny that, you know, he really limited the scope of the strip and limited it that way. Um, it, it strikes me as something that he was able to do given the nature of Calvin and Hobbes, which is very insular in a way. But Gary Trudeau's work was so that wasn't just a possibility for Doonesbury for it to be Doonesbury. It had to be encompassing of, of the world. And in a sense, because it was encompassing and it has become such a, a history of American experience, you know, from seventy on, this whole fifty years, that um, really that kind of insular kind of moment that Calvin and Hobbes, you know, encapsulates, wasn't isn't really possible for Doonesbury. It seems to be. Um, it's, it's so much more open and so much more broad than that. And that, and that seems when I compare it to other strips too, you know, those that have kind of closed down, I mean, for better or for worse, maybe is the closest in the regard that it opens up its world and it's about life as it's being lived. Um, but she found a way to bring it to a conclusion too. You know, um, it's interesting, but Doonesbury doesn't seems to be so much a part of lived life every moment you know it's it's very distinct in that way i don't know where i was going with all of that no, I we
1: sorry. Just, we it's, we're just here you know and and you're making me think about um you know i think in terms of how big the cartoon universe is you know yeah though because we each have our own the one that the things that touched us and, and led us along like for me it goes but in my particular case steinberg and 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 uh steig from the new york those artists and and mm-hmm. mad magazine those you know so it all flows it's like all the rivulets that come together and and go wherever it goes and and you know kleban was a huge emerging presence you're like okay there's there's somebody that's a different space that no one's been in and then gary goes shows up where he shows up but it's a, what amazes me beyond the that is all the cartoons that throw up the internet open it up so big that mm-hmm. yeah anything is possible you know you can do anything that you want as a drawer as a drawer and and thinker of of pictures and and the the fact that the newspapers have suffered is regrettable to me tremendously and has made that career path for a syndicated newspaper cartoonist much more difficult but you know i don't think all whether what the particular fate of that venue is uh, you know it's it's cartoons are cartoons and the work is going to find its way like water you know through through and and it's a very positive time in that in the growth of opportunities and and outlets and venues and that and i'd like to make an abrupt turn right here to say something i vowed i wouldn't forget okay you guys were talking about pencils and inks right yeah yeah. how gary's the the rap on gary you know he'd draw in pencil and and don would ink it in as todd does now and it bothered me uh, sometimes if i would hear people saying because when you say it's like it's the pencil and the ink that doesn't tell you anything in and of itself because there are people spark even who you know got a blue pencil sketch say or you know, there's sometimes a sketch and then the inking is when the decisions are made but i knew from having seen the originals that in gary's case they're very tight drawings mm-hmm. and the ink the drawing was exactly like the pencil drawing and it bothered me that people and then somebody wrote a, a column really hitting him on that and may, you know mocking him about that and so brian walker wrote some it was edited and written many great sure, cartoon sure. books did the Doonesbury dunesbury and the art of gb trudeau which came out the same time as the 40th book right oh okay. and one of the things i really appreciated his doing and if I had any contribution, I was saying, Brian, please do. He got original drawings, uh, pencils, and he got the ink and put them next to each other. So that you just see, this is it. Look, it's this, it's the drawing, you know, because I felt bad that Gary was getting getting criticized for something that he didn't deserve. And because he is a wonderful artist and the, the drawing. And you guys had a great conversation about that, too, about how the evolution of
0: the street Well, or, and. You know, that's a particular interest to to, to us, obviously, because, you know, both Pat and myself are cartoonists. And so and, you know, as as I've said, it's interesting. I think a lot of us think about Gary Trudeau as a writer first and a cartoonist second. And and it's probably not how he sees himself. Um, and it's interesting because I think that that's not really true. You know, I mean, when I sit down and think about it, the writing has always been so, you know, uh, so important in the strip in a way. That, um, I mean, you know, for all of the great cartoonists, writing is really important. It's just different how that writing plays out. And Gary Trudeau's, you know, work, the writing has got this um th- this quality to it that this conversational quality to it and this this complexity to it and, and partly because of the complexity of this trip itself and also because of the issues it's dealing with um but there's this naturalness to it that's always made it just you know for those of us who have toiled in this field at all you know have just been bowled over by because as pat was saying last week he's got this quality of writing you know very funny very funny dialogue that is also extremely natural it feels completely unforced you know i was listening to him talk about how he structures a strip and how you've got to lay out you know the exposition in the first panel and it's got to go boom 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 to to the sorry i hit my my little microphone here i was gesturing (laughs) and i hit my microphone um so but anyway he's got this you know there's the method, you've got a, the template of how the strip has to flow in four panels. Okay, we understand that. But he's got this way of writing and this timing and this quality of dropping the punchline, which half of the time doesn't seem like a punchline, um, that is so natural that it just, it, it's just so masterful. It, it, for those of us, again, it just bowls us over. The cartooning is is hand-in-hand hand with that. And one of the things that's interesting to me is how it's moved from, you know, the simple, um, approach to three quarter views, you know, knees up views that were typical of the strip back in the early days. And sometimes where the characters just fade off into the panel, you wouldn't have a complete illustration there. You just, you know, have kind of a Jules Pfeiffer figure floating in space, you know, whether it was Mike or BD or somebody and the rest of the, the scenery is imagined, you know, um, as time goes on, it's become much more complex. And his one of the things I noticed that he does that I think is overlooked a lot of times is his camera views move around within a scene. Um, in very inventive and interesting ways and, uh, that are uniquely his own. I mean, his own kind of perspective, uh, his own kind of camera view, but that wasn't really there in those first 10 years of the strip, you know, um, quite interesting how the strip changed visually after the sabbatical. Uh, I think it's become, right very rich in its cartooning and i think that's overlooked a lot of the times uh, as as we've you know we talk about it
1: that was an interesting period because he took <clears throat> the time off mainly to write the broadway show and do that and the rap ronnie stuff and but he has i've seen him refer to that as wood shedding period where he you know to for his own interest and uh, he wanted to change it and also besides the factor of Introducing, kind of bringing all the characters up to the present, get them out of college, send them off on their life paths, and and reset time in the strip. And and it was ingenious that then some of what happened, what happened between the beginning of the sabbatical and the resumption of the strip, was the Broadway musical, which does that. That's what the musical is. It's about the end of the Walden experience and people charting their paths ahead. So that was wonderful. And then and they filled in a lot. in Life magazine, did a story about the return, and yeah. that covered the wedding. You know, it kind of, it all worked out nicely that the, the continuity is all there. If you, if you just jump from the stepping stone to that one. And then, and then he came back, and I, I think he's always talked about how much he's, he liked, you know, the, the new way of doing it. Like you say, very open in mm-hmm. and, and possibilities. And, and the one thing I'll add to that is I really personally always love self-referential Mm -hmm. Um, work and he's had so much fun with that over the years as other there's a tradition of that in comics i know but i think he's done really well with that too where Part of it is is the playing like where there's a donut or a cup of coffee on top of the Sunday, you know, or or there's the ink spill. He spills ink all over a week of dailies. But then some of it's more within it's in the middle, in the middle of making the strip itself, like where you're getting the tour of the studio and there's the box of of voice balloons flipping through those. And here's the set for the White House. And, you know, that that kind of fun.
0: Oh, Um, yeah. I love that stuff. Um, making,
1: Making room within the strip for more about the strip.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things, too, when we when we just, you know, if we're talking comics and we sum up comics, you know, in these generalizations, we tend to think of Gary Trudeau's dealing with human experience and stuff, all of that. And we attribute these kind of um, fourth wall games and things like that to, you know, people like Watterson or other cartoonists who are more overt about it or working in a smaller, you know, canvas perhaps, but he does it a lot too and has done it throughout. And there's this great quality of, um, you know, surrealism and, uh, and kind of, you know, of fan fantasy that runs throughout the strip as well. You know, whether we go back to, you know, Zonker diving into uh, Walden pond, you know, or, or we're talking about, you know, what you're talking about in regard to the sets, the white house sets and all of the sets for Doonesbury, which I love the way he plays with that stuff on Sundays Sometimes, uh, it, it really opens up the strip and in, into other possibilities. And, uh, it's great to see him play with those kinds of things. You know, the conventions of the strip that he's as conscious of as everybody else are, you know, he, it's wonderful that he's just overt and saying, okay, here's the white house set. And we just use this over and over again, which of course isn't true. Um, cause he redraws the white house. It seems like every time, although I, I don't know if he does that now. Uh, I don't, boy, that, and that's I don't think painstaking really work. Deserves- Hey, just never, back,
1: to jump back what you said about we were talking about writing and drawing to, to my, you know, to writing is thinking and drawing is thinking it also yeah. to me I, the, yeah. it's all that connects up. And Gary is a wonderful writer. And, you, you know, you read the pieces he wrote, columns for The New York Times for a while, opinion, you know, just really creative things where there'd be something happening that he wanted to comment on and instead of doing a strip. It offered him a different way. And Time magazine, he was a columnist there. And and those are really ingenious pieces of work. And and as a, a young editor, it was great uh, working with him because he shares that obsession with, you know, we get on the phone, we'd be writing some copy and you know, I'd write something, he'd tweak it back. And then we'd like spend call back. What wait a minute, maybe the comma should, you know, like that enjoying every detail of of writing itself. You know obviously that's every day you see how artfully he packs the words into that oh, strip hmm. and there at that moment i just jump over like he's like sparky in that the challenge when you read peanuts i was would say to anybody who's pursuing cartooning is can you make any of those any or any of those words not necessary is there anything you can do to the words in this strip that makes it better I, i don't think you know i can't it's it's so well honed and both they share that in that there's not casual language there's not extra phrases you know it's it's honed down from whatever the idea is so perfect a perfect expression of the idea that it's
0: trying to be you know so um, how much editing really goes you know i mean have you seen him you know edit his writing i mean no no No, he's had a series of editors, Lee Salem, like I said, and Sue Roush is his editor now. And,
1: and, you know, and they I don't I've never seen that or know anything about that. I'm sure it's just just catch. Well, I mean, like
0: when he. I guess what i'm referring to is like the process when you're sitting down to write a comic strip and you go through you write one very one draft you write another draft you write another draft i'm wondering if you've ever witnessed him oh, go through the th- process of that
1: i think what i've
0: what he showed me of that
1: is the notebooks he uses you know and, and uh-huh. i think those are in brian's book i think he talks about that where you know just if he's cogitating on some subject there's just lots of stuff that's fr- around that bits of dialogue and little ideas of how this looks and then that sort of raw material that he must mm-hmm. draw in. the but i i think as you i must have heard the same thing you were talking about where he's talked about okay of the six strips here's how i work my way in maybe i'll get you know it's not like i do monday then i do tuesday then i do wednesday it's it's a the whole thing the gestalt of that unit of stuff where you know, i want to end up here so i start here and then and then the clock is ticking and that whole process that he goes through which probably is different uh, in many times but also has a a sameness to the rhythm of it in his life i would think you know in that the, the cycle of the week yeah. so yeah that might be and that might be in the politics and prose that was a nice explanation uh, he gave of that and i think but Brian's book has a bunch of stuff about that too
0: i'm gonna have to get that there there are a couple of other um i think things on youtube the politics and prose interview and then that you did with him and then I think there's a couple of of other things where he talks about the process uh, of it and the process of writing it and of course it seems now, you know, he talked in one of those interviews, he talked about the difference between the Vietnam experience of BD the first time around and how he wrote that sort of, you know, yeah. without any real experience. And then later on, you know, he's done all of this incredible research into the experience of vets, you know, suffering from PTSD and people in, you know, in the uh, Iraq and, and Afghanistan wars. And, um, you know, it's it and it's really filled the strip with, you know, I mean, great substance. It's very, very, that whole topic is very richly detailed and yeah, the experience feels so authentic. Yeah. You know, really, really beautiful. But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I go back and I read those strips between Beattie and Fred, and and I think there's something, you know, really authentic about them as well, you know, perhaps from a more you know, a distance point of view, but at the same time, they're still, I think it was important that somebody was doing those strips then. And, um, and they're really funny and they, they really resonate, you know, there's a great quality. I'm sure his process has become very different. Um, I mean, you know, how much research is going into the strip on a regular basis when he's, you know, dealing with, like I was just going through a series of strips about the rollout of the iPad, I think. And, uh, um, Oh, yeah, they just were up. There. Yeah, I was just looking at those and and I was I was surprised, you know, to think, well, first of all, I wouldn't have been on top of it as much as he was. Um, you know, he's he seems to be on top of of everything that's happening as it's happening in the culture in a way that, you know, <laughs> my advanced years, I'm less likely to be paying attention to. I don't know how he does that. Yeah. Is that something that you've, that you've seen the process, you know, where well, he's just a smart
1: tuning guy, reading stuff and paying attention, you know, and, and then thinking, I'm sure what, you know, yeah. is there something here I can work with? And I, I used to ask about that where, you know, I think in that interview, I asked him, you know, do you have, have you ever had something you wanted to write about mm-hmm. that you couldn't figure out a way to address it? But he has such a broad, I always think of it as a repertory company of players to draw on like, like, you know how sparky always had all of his venues that he could go to yeah. pumpkin baseball you know just it yeah. does doesn't and similarly gary's built a very big universe so that he has tremendous flexibility it seems to me so yeah. that if there's something he wants to address somebody in that group he you know the odds are pretty good he could come up with a, it's easy for me to say come up with somebody who could be connected to that in a way that would allow him to write about it you yeah. know so I think he said he didn't really have, the, like, you know, there wasn't some burning issue he'd never been able to figure out how to do.
0: Going through the strip, I can't imagine there's anything he hasn't touched on, you know, that was going on at one point or another. It's just, it's extraordinary when you when you sit down and you read a big chunk of a year, for example. It just yeah, seems right. like, you know, everything that was happening in some way or another has found a way into the strip. And that's because it's a, it really is as funny and as satirical as it is and, and as fanciful as it can be at the same time, it's, it's exactly life as it happened, you know, over the last 50 years. Are there any, um, I mean, who are your favorite characters in the strip? Do you have any favorite characters that stand out to you that you've, you know, found a special attachment to over the years or any storylines that have, you know, been particularly meaningful to you? Well, I will
1: say that, you know, if someone's not familiar with that period of, of the Iraq war, I recommend another side project that we had. If you go to the Dunesbury site now and look in the drop-down menus, you'll see the sandbox archive. And mm-hmm. that was, came out of, you know, when B.D. got blown up and lost his mm-hmm. leg and, and Gary was going down to Washington a lot and doing research and getting to know soldiers, and all of that happened. We, and the books about B.D., First and then, subsequently, uh, Mel and Toggle. You know, had dip, mm-hmm. BD lost a limb. Toggle had aphasia from a TBI, yeah. and Mel had military sex. Was a victim of military sexual assault. So those s- set of warrior, the warrior series. Then we were. I went with them one time down or to Washington, and, and at that time, this is too big a story, I guess. But I just say the mail blog phenomenon was amazing. And with the deployment for that major war at that time, it, unlike any time in the history of American service and wars, that you could spend 20 minutes and build a website for yourself. And then while you were deployed, whenever you had access to the internet, you know, on the base or wherever, then you could post uh, what was happening, you were doing. And then your family and friends could go, oh good, he's okay, here's a little story. Oh, that's good to hear, you know, whatever. You know, it was instead of, so that, blossomed for incredible explosion of these sites which had some concerns for security of you know military well gee don't put anything on there that gives away stuff but the military seemed to quickly respond to that and incorporate that into training about situational awareness about that but also realizing probably that it was not a bad thing to have people back home aware of the war and knowing what was what people are going through. So Gary, in into that environment, he was already himself in the strip tuned in. On this trip, we, I don't know, he spent the whole day in the Pentagon signing books uh, for people who worked there, and it was really an interesting day. And at the, the next day, or maybe on the train home, he's like, "Hey, you know, maybe we should start a mill blog." And for people who don't want to have a mill blog of their own, but they might have a story now and then, or they might want to say something, and so. He said you can run it and we'll, we'll do that so long story short we within I agreed. We went to the syndicate. They said, sure, we can build another page. We'll build a sandbox page. And within, it seemed like weeks, maybe it was too much. He'd, you know, as well, I did the Sunday strip and, you know, and there's a the Sunday strip announcing the sandbox. You can write to this email address and send in stories about your experiences or anything. So we launched. So then I prepared by going to existing mail blogs, contacting these soldiers and asking if we could reprint this post or that post that seemed powerful. And, and mm-hmm. so everyone was, yeah, yeah. So, so we, started off we primed the pump by putting up posts from pre-existing and then once it launched started hearing from people and i kept going and soliciting too so that was an eight-year adventure in the end where we posted 700 and some posts by 150 some soldiers and it was an amazing experience to me just invaluable on many different levels and you know that was all gary thinking of that and supporting that and saying let's do this and we did it and you know created it was very from the feedback very helpful to the soldiers involved and people reading mm-hmm. and it it just helped it was a window it just was a window you know and so that probably that's a, one of my you know and the website itself is still there that's why we preserve the site so if you go there all this posting and it got intense you know the first six months we did a book after six months that andrews and mcmill published as a fundraiser it's called the sandbox and then then but then the the work kept evolving and as time passed, then it started being posted from returned veterans talking about reintegration. It was from caregivers, spouses, you know, it was from nurses and military hospitals and it was, it was, um, PTSD stuff. You know, it was, the, it just kept evolving. And the last, you know, the last four years were different than the first four years. And it's, it's just an amazing body of work. And a lot of times people would, I uh, had people really good writers, you know, and they would, one uh, when, uh, a gentleman named Owen Powell, who wrote as Sergeant Roy Batty, was stationed um, in Baghdad and, and would come back to, from a, a whole day long mission. And then he'd just sit down in the coffee shop and, you know, write the whole thing up and send pictures. And then we put it up that night. It just it was so powerful as an editor to be able to be in part of that information flow and and to uh, help people get their stories out. It was it was great. So that body work is sitting there and I commend it to, uh, to anybody.
0: You know, it's interesting to think about Gary Trudeau as a wartime cartoonist in the tradition of somebody like Milton Kniff, you know, um, uh, Kniff, who had a, a similar kind of connection to the military during World War II through Terry and the Pirates and, and later on with Steve Canyon and stuff. Um, but how many, you know, have, have found that their strip is a place in which vets and people who've had that, those experiences have, can come together you know, family members and whatnot around this comic strip and, and you know, talk about these things and um, and relate their stories. It's really kind of an extraordinary phenomenon, really. Uh, I can't think of another strip. It's
1: true, and, and, you know, the blowback feature that we have on the site, which the traffic has, has diminished since the Daily stopped happening, but we still do get those. You know, on the, on the site, there's a feature called Flashbacks, which is a page on which it's the strip that appeared on this date, 5, 10, 15, 20. All the way to 40 years ago so mm-hmm. all the storylines are recycling through there all the time they keep coming around right as they make yeah. the way up the calendar plus once um you know when gary stopped doing the dailies when he was working on uh alpha house there was a then he came back That we did flashbacks and then he came back and resumed new dailies for a while and then and my computer froze i was going to tell you the date on which we formally began the classics but since that date all the the daylays have been curated meaning gary's gone through and said okay let's from 19 we're in where are we at 1978 well then let's do this week that week these two weeks and you know he's, he's selecting the ones that seem and it's amazing how often those do still resonate to where people will still write a strip will touch somewhere it'll, it'll awaken a memory that is like you and I are saying in our own lives we've been there we've been through this strip and so something will come up and in the military ones especially when something comes up that's a particularly powerful thing then people will write in in appreciation and, and share in their stories so that that blowback feature reinforced that sense where you could see the impact that the strip mm-hmm. was having in mm-hmm. people's lives by by you know giving voice to the kind of experiences that they were having themselves.
0: Do you, do you, I mean, it's kind of interesting. We were talking about how the internet, you know, and the phenomenon, there's millions of cartoonists who have a vehicle and voices now that, that wouldn't have had an opportunity, you know, even 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. Um, and, and do you see an the potential for anything to come along that would have the kind of breadth or impact of a Doonesbury, um, You you know, being a vehicle upon which really, you know, not only people live through the experiences, but now they're contributing in a way around the strip, their experiences of life. Um, I, I just don't see that there's this is this is kind of a singular achievement.
1: That's that seems true, but I have no idea what's gonna happen. Who knows, right? We don't we just I just can't see more than this afternoon ahead. But <laughs> you just feel the the you know, artistic impulse and creativity. is gonna stuff's just gonna happen that we just can't imagine. So who knows? But it is true in the in, within focusing zooming down onto the newspaper comic strip industry, when you look at a strip like Cul-de-sac by Richard Thompson, which had mm-hmm. a five year run before he, unfortunately was taken that strip in it, it, you know, 15 years before it seems to me would have been up there on that sort yeah. of Calvin the level, where it just takes off and people fall yeah. in love with it and just enjoy it thoroughly. So that, that particular potential maybe is, is not there right now or it's changed. I don't know. And yet then you'll see something come out of the internet, you know, that then becomes a book, whether it's poetry or card or something. So I have no, uh, you know, ability to predict yeah. what will happen. But you just figure, like with most of the comic strips that you like or the com- cartoons that you like, each one is unique, right? It's that person manifesting their consciousness in the way, you know, and God bless them, you know, they, they're, they're all separate, you know, like
0: Winsor McKay,
1: mm-hmm. whoever it is, they're all just wonderful and, and,
0: and sure and however long they last although you know the idea of uh, i mean wonderful thing about the newspaper business and the syndication business is that something like dunesbury could last for 50 years and i think you know w- and the cartoonists make a very good living at it whereas you know i think we're we don't know if that'll happen or not no
1: you know? you're right that's much harder that 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 is, has completely changed and clearly changed you're right yeah. the the,
0: re- the reassurance
1: and i don't know why i just jumped to this but but then you, you always take uh some comfort and like say Crazy Cat, amazing. Yeah. So it was, you know, I had thirty-five newspapers in its day. William Hearst loved it, so he kept it going. Or yeah. you say, you, know, you say Moby Dick. I mean, Melville stopped. You know, his pub. That book was well reviewed in England. Got some reviews here. Sold seven hundred copies you know and and some of his greatest stories were in a trunk at the time of his death and he went just to new york city and worked but so who knew you know who knew you know you you don't know what the future is based on the present in that sense so the creative person you just want them to find a way to do the thing they're trying to do and then Mm -hmm. what happens after that we'll see
0: now you have you had um involvement in other with uh, other comic strips uh, with other cartoonists and things of that nature i have some i have and too much to mention, except to say I've just been very
1: fortunate in that in publishing. You know, I was able to, like I said, kind of gather a lot of my interests around, but um, n- nothing as extensive as this. That's for sure. That's <laughs> yeah, I, I would think this so. Would... Grateful for it to had the chance to work with Gary on this and
0: George and everybody on this on this thing. You know, sure. And and it's and this particular project is absolutely beautiful. I mean, the wonder, wonderful things. I mean, the book itself uh aside from you know the flash drive which is great but the book itself is also really beautiful um i mean you the know box, I, right? the whole package you mean the whole package is beautiful okay um, short
1: story before i forget
0: okay this i think yeah uh,
1: again i don't speak for gary but this is how i remember it was that they were thinking like white album when, when it started just because oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. he's you know gary's a beautiful fan who isn't and and the in the aesthetics of that thing so it's like, okay, that's we'll start like we're shooting for that. But the way it happened, decision after decision that they made as a wit, I'm just watching all of this, it ends up being it ends up being let it be because you know it's black. it's it's the other one. you know it just step by step, they kept seeing what was possibilities. And once it was all put together, it's like, oh, it's the black album, cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the art in the back, the portraits, you know, it it, it was so neat to see that just become perfect.
0: Well, and talking about it's it's interesting too talking about, you know, uh, Gary Trudeau's pencil drawings. I mean, some the frontispiece of the user manual is this yeah. wonderful uh, picture of Zonker and um, Mike and JJ yeah. from New Year's Eve what what year 1986. That was uh,
1: from a poster that he did as a benefit for somebody.
0: Yeah, oh, it's okay. gorgeous yeah it's really wonderful and it really does go to show i mean here's a guy drawing not only you know the characters and and it's not just you know line drawings but he's filled in all of the areas of black and and detailed all of the highlighting shading uh throughout and it's really wonderful and it's there's a great freshness to his pencil drawings and that's true too of the poster uh which you know oh, it's, yeah yeah it's all pencil drawings um all of those wonderful portraits of wow you know how many characters are on that poster i don't have it i'm um, in this room with me uh, but um i haven't counted how many 63. 63 63 characters right. all drawn in these now were those done specially for or were they for
1: yeah, this they were as i recall and i might be wrong i think i think he started off like just like
0: doing that and
1: then Quickly saw. Oh wow, those look good. They're, you know, they are. These aren't pencils to lead to inks. This looks good, so they just went with that in the end. Yeah, and, and the, the, the pencils. I mean, he's drawn. You know, in that way before, but but they became more. You know, a lot like Mr. Butts. There's so much detail in them and lots of fun little. It, that was just. And look at the color too. George's color Oh, I was just going to say that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the color and the reproduction of the color uh, in this book is is beautiful. Also, I mean, you know, there's the, the it, I mean, all the way through, it's a it's a beautiful book, and um, the reproductions are just terrific. And and the color at the end, um, you know, it, it, the color of the strip is one of those things that I think it's really easy to overlook, but the color is really beautiful. You're
1: um, right. The Sunday strips. I mean, George has been doing this for a while, but like again, I just say the same thing. The two of them. Create stuff. This Sunday's, I mean, sometimes like you, if you, you know, when you're reading online or in the paper, like I just flipped open to 2017, the mm-hmm. Sunday that's featured there. It's tattoo parlor, right? And zips uh-huh. in there, trying to pick his tattoo. And in the background on the walls, are these incredible tattoos. These tiny in the guy's arm, and it's just right in there. You can just not even notice it, kind of. But they. There's a lot of beauty in these Sundays. It's just wonderful seeing them. You kind of take your breath away. And the first time, the first time he did the COVID character recently was great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, they're they're in a real nice groove and have been for a
0: while with color on the Sundays. Yeah, and and you know it's interesting too here in the Sundays. I'm looking again, you know, the comic, the comics page has its limitations in terms of what it allows in terms of, uh, you know, the panel distribution and all of that. Um, and the size and, you know, as a cartoonist, you have to find a way to work within it. And again, I was talking about you know, how he has gone from, you know, in the mid seventies, that kind of three quarter view that was very prevalent in most of the setups, which by the way, as young cartoonists coming around wanting to do comic strips back in those days, we all did that. I, I Berkeley brother does it all the way through, um, Bloom County. And before he, even visually before he sort of becomes his own guy, you know, but you can see that that was what we were all doing because of Gary Trudeau and um and it's really remarkable to see these later strips and and think about them in terms uh, visual terms and just how he he's found ways of doing these very rich visuals um still with a kind of limited information but you, you're never your camera is never s- situated in one spot you know the camera is moving around the characters and, and sometimes in ways that is, is elegant and and complex as as. uh as Kniff's work, and I was I was doing a thing about Kniff for a class I teach, and, um, and talking about how he moves his, car- his camera around, and, you know, I, I use that word, you know, uh, just as a, yeah, rep- yeah. a representation of, of what a cartoonist does, but... You know, it, it, Tr- Gary Trudeau is doing that, too. Maybe not quite as extensively. We don't have the you know, above ground shots that we get so much in Kniff. But we do have this, you know, this sense of, mo- of motion, of moving around these characters, or these characters living in real space, which is really uh, very it's made the strip so much richer visually, you know, although I loved it the other way, too. I mean, because he's he's one of those cartoonists. You just he's got this likability factor you know that uh figures into his cartooning i think and has always been there from day one but
1: um that's true even even the despicable character is like oh man You're right. You're right that's true and and just to ref, to refer to the color comment i was just thinking uh, you know uh, how um uh, little nemo in slumberland that mm-hmm. that incredible color thing this gary and george are, are getting as close as you can get i think but and as you remember certainly from our time as kids right the sundays you know peanuts used really bold colors you know and and to be at a level of of subtlety like they're doing now and fading things and all the textures you know it's a really good and it's 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 uh well, it's yeah. just
0: the way that, you know, I'm looking at a strip from 2014 and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, um, Mike and, and the character Skid and they're yeah. in the grocery store and just looking at the way the color is f- faded off where the light hits Mike, the back of Mike's, you know, shoulders and, um, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, the top of his hair. There's a subtlety to, you know, the, the way light impacts a form uh, and this is true of the strip that's up on uh, from 2010 that's up on my computer right now zonker um is talking to boopsie in the kitchen and you know the light there again this softness of it just really resonates with the, it gives it a kind of volumetric quality which again you know he's imbued his line work with and and really wasn't there in the early days but now you know everything's very round and volumetric and got a great sense of form um but the the it's it's nice to see how the subtlety in the coloring also accentuates that
1: yeah and i got one more one more color chip and then i probably should go the okay. um the uh, anybody is a no another thing gary does he's from lake saranac new york right uh-huh. and every year they have a winter carnival and for a long time i mean decades he does a button and a poster for them that they used to fundraise <laughs> for this building of the ice palace and this whole thing so if you just look up saranac lake winter festival winter carnival every year they he and george do some awesome poster and and they you know have a, go farther you know they because it's a poster. They can do whatever they want. So there's some beautiful things that I'm sure you would appreciate from what you just said.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I think the strip's got legs. <laughs> 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 I think it's going to go on for a while. Obviously, you know, uh, Gary Trudeau and, and his team, George, and, and whoever else is you're still working at the top of their game. And, uh, and that's obvious when we look through this work that is so rich and so... I'm going to get misty here because it (laughs) meant so much to me in my lifetime. Um, You know, I just remember, again, you know, being 15 years old and a buddy handed me, you know, Doonesbury Chronicles and saying, man, you got to you got to read this. And, you know, it was it just as a cartoonist inspired me so much that it continues to inspire me and uh, and i'm and i'm not alone in that obviously there's so many of us who've been touched by it and so i'm in such admiration of what gary trudeau has done over the course of 50 years and and the scope of what he's done yeah
1: me too me too and and back to what you'd said a while ago um in terms of generational uh, experience you know gary's one of those people who followed through on what he was interested in at that time and he just has grown with that and gone with that and taken that that's always so interesting people who just they start somewhere and then they just go and keep going and keep
0: uh, going so yeah, who uh, knew you know that this guy would be you know uh he would have the legs to do 50 years 60 years whatever it's 70 years whatever it's going to be
1: go for 90
0: there you go 90 that's absolutely let's go for that it, why not I, I you know hope that is indeed the case well minute. David this is
1: long in the tooth then. maybe that's a long tooth. <laughs> hey,
0: thank you for having me on it's really fun
1: talking about this thing you no, know that we been... admire so much
0: yeah it's been it's been great to have you here it's great to get you know some of the backstory on this wonderful comic strip on this terrific collection of uh, Doonesbury at 50 D at 50 um, it is so worth the you know hundred bucks or so that it costs um, Anybody who loves this comic strip, this is just such a wonderful, wonderful celebration of it. And I'm so glad we have the opportunity on this podcast to to uh, give some time to this benchmark of a, of a great comic strip, one of the all-time greats. So, David, thank you very much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Hey, listeners, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I hope you're enjoying today's interview. If you are and you want to show support, head on over to my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. At Patreon, you can contribute as little as a dollar on a regular basis to ensure the longevity of this podcast. Your support will help keep it not only commercial free, but free to the listening public. And in exchange, you'll get some pretty neat stuff. There are at least three different tiers. Each level offers its own distinct rewards. So check it out today at patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N. Any amount is welcome, and your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks again. And that's patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. So my thanks again to... David Stanford for taking such a big chunk out of his day, and sitting down and talking with us all about Doonesbury and uh, his work with Gary Trudeau over the last thirty years and the breadth of this extraordinary comic strip. What a great achievement! And uh, how many of them can we say have you know reached this far? Have, have lasted fifty years and uh, not too many anymore. So yeah, it's it's one of a kind and. Uh, so I'm so thankful it's been part of my part of my world, and I hope you are too. Head on out and get that copy of uh, D-Barry at 50. And hey, if you can't do that, get yourself, you know, 40 uh, Doonesbury Retrospective. That's, if you're an old, you know, old school book lover like me, it's well worth the exhaustion of carrying it around. <laughs> it's a terrific, terrific collection. I love it. And there's just something about having a book, but... The digital collection has its own wonderful rewards, and I think you'll enjoy it a great deal. So, that'll do it. Uh, Next time, we're coming back to finish off this Doonesbury celebration with the second part of my discussion with Pat Sandy. And so, I think you'll you'll be looking forward to that, because, again, it's a different take on the comic strip, and uh, we talk about different things. So, uh, if you're a Doonesbury nut like I am, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So, I hope you'll come back for that. That'll be coming up shortly. You can follow me on Instagram at Grogan Jeff, G-R-O-G-A-N-G-E-O-F-F, and my new work, Greenscreen, at Green Screen Comic on Instagram. You can pick up a print copy at etsy.com slash shop slash jeffgroganart. Or, let's see, what's the other thing? Uh, it's available on Comixology for digital download on February 10th, and I think uh, I'm excited about that, too, so... One way or the other, you can pick up my latest work, Green Screen. That should do it for now. It's been a long episode, quite a long day. You're probably exhausted and ready to go, get to doing whatever it is you're 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 doing with your day. I hope it's productive. I hope it's a wonderful day for you wherever you are. And uh, once again, as always, thanks for listening.